Hello and welcome to Diabetically Speaking, the podcast where we talk health, fitness, and nutrition to help you build your healthiest life. I'm your host, Michael, and today I need to tell you something important. Well, actually a number of things. You see, when people start their fitness journey, as we'll call it, there are numerous benefits to being new to the game. Things are exciting, you're extremely motivated and regimented, perhaps to a fault, and everything seems easy, almost too easy. And there are reasons for this we're about to get into, but what people don't realize is just how much of a handicap, for lack of a better word, they have, and in turn, don't realize how easy it is to unknowingly take it for granted until they hit a wall. You've heard this before, but believe me, Knowing what I know now about the entire process of improving body composition through diet and exercise, with the mistakes I've made, if I could go back and do it all over again, I would have been a lot farther along and wouldn't have made so many circles before making actual progress. So if you want to know just what in the hell I'm talking about and how easy it is to keep the ball rolling on your own progress when you start, take a seat and take some notes. When you start eating right, tracking macros, and following a proper routine, you're going to see progress, quite rapidly in fact. Your body is hyper-responsive to the stimulus and nutrients you throw at it, and it seemingly knows exactly what to do with everything. The term for this is newbie gains, and with it comes a rapid increase in muscle and strength. You can legitimately gain 15-25 pounds of muscle if you're a guy, half that if you're a girl, and easily hundreds of pounds in whole body strength in your first year of weightlifting alone. Not to mention, you will more than likely experience body recomposition, where you're able to build muscle and lose fat at the same time. This occurs because your muscle protein synthesis rates are dramatically spiked and your body's ability to build muscle is pretty much thrown into overdrive. Additionally, it doesn't take long, grueling workouts to get these benefits either. But, as time marches on in the gym, your body's response to training changes. Namely, your muscle protein synthesis rates don't stay elevated as long after a workout, resulting in less muscle gain. And while experienced weightlifters can make up for this to an extent by increasing their volume via more sets or reps or both every week, which helps increase muscle protein synthesis, it'll never be back to the levels of newbie gains. This honeymoon phase of newbie gains can last give or take six months, possibly more if you're fortunate enough to have good genetics. And honestly, you could even follow a half-assed routine both in the gym and the kitchen and still see really great progress all around. This body recomposition is a bodybuilder's wet dream because when the newbie gains end, you need to juggle cutting and bulking cycles intelligently to get the same results. And while changing your training phases every so often does provide your body with the right signals to continue growing, the ability for it to gain more muscle and get stronger is much slower as your years of training progress. This is the number one in our list because it's really the first great thing you'll experience when you start eating and training right, along with better energy levels, hormone balance, sleep, and more. And it's going to lead into other things we'll be discussing as well because it paves the way for determining whether you have an extra boost in the beginning or not. So my advice on newbie gains is that whether you've heard of it or not, do not neglect the fact that you have a leg up when you start. Do a bit of research into a proper training routine and learn how to intelligently track your macros. 
Again, while you can be pretty loosey-goosey with both, this grace period only lasts for so long, and then the real grind begins. And that leads right into point number two, proper training. We want more strength, muscle, and a better physique. It doesn't just give us a physical rush, but a mental and emotional boost as well. With this energy driving you, it can be tough to know how much is enough, and when too much is too much, because we often think more is better. You need to understand that not following a proper routine and throwing in more work without reason can quickly lead to a point of diminishing returns, representing itself in overtraining and under-recovering. Now, there's something known as the repeated bout effect, which states the more of a specific exercise you do, the more your body grows accustomed to it, and the less stimulus and adaptation you get from it. In other words, as you gain more training experience, you gain less and less muscle and strength per unit of training effort. This is why you don't need to do as much volume or work as more experienced weightlifters in the beginning, nor should you try. The higher your volume or work when you start, the more you need to do to see benefits when your body becomes accustomed to that amount of stimulus. So finding your minimal effective volume is crucial. Overall, think of it as a training variable or tool in your tool belt you shouldn't use until it's needed. Note that I'm not saying your workouts shouldn't feel hard or that you shouldn't be putting in effort and just throw light weight around instead. Though it takes practice and trial and error to identify what difficult feels like, you want to be in tune with how your body perceives varying levels of effort. Bringing us to point number three. Progressive overload and tracking your workouts. One of the biggest mistakes people make is that they constantly change up their routine and do all sorts of dumb exercises, whether it be to confuse the muscles, out of boredom, or just having no idea what to do in their workouts. I, just like anyone else, enjoy a good pump when lifting, but if you want to build bigger, stronger muscles, the key isn't to do a hundred different exercises with tons of reps for each one. It's simply to progressively overload the muscles. That is, increasing the tension in your muscle fibers by adding weight to the bar over time. Ask yourself, how are you supposed to measure your progress if you don't practice the same lift to get better at it? That's like wanting to get good at piano, so you practice it for a week, then play the saxophone the week after, and then the guitar the week after that. So, how do we progressively overload our muscles? This is where rep ranges come in handy. You work in a specific rep range, starting at the lower end, and work your way up to the top of that range, and then add more weight once you get there. For example, if you're training in the 4-6 to six rep range, the idea is to pick a weight heavy enough you can get at least 4 reps, but not more than 6 per set. If you can get 6 reps for all 3 sets, you add 5-10 to 10 pounds to the bar and start at the lower end of the range again. You continue this progression and over time, lift more weight. And the amount of weight you're lifting is something you should be tracking every single workout. Whether it's a note-taking app or workout app on your phone or good old pen and paper, simply mark the date the exercise, and the sets and reps at the weight you did for that session. This gives you an effective way in measuring progress as well as give you something to look forward to for the next session, because your goal is to do a little better every time, even if that's just by one rep. Progress is progress. 
With all that said, as excited as we are to add weight to the bar or lift heavier dumbbells, point number four is neglecting proper form, and it's something I see so many people do. And it's not just a good way to plateau on progress, but to leave yourself wide open for injury. In the middle of a set, our adrenaline is going. We're focused on moving the weight but don't always realize or feel other muscle groups overcompensating if the weight's too heavy. Something I do every single session, and always on my compound lifts like the bench, deadlift, overhead press, and squat, is to take a video recording with my phone and then watch it during the rest period before starting the next set. This allows me to see where weak points in my lifts are and at what point in the lift my form starts to break down. It may sound obvious, but don't lift with your ego. You want to have as much control over every portion of every rep as possible. Simply put, lift with intent and try to make every rep look and feel the same. With proper form execution comes point number five, and that is training to failure. There are debates on whether training to failure is a good idea or not. In some instances, it can be a useful way to squeeze out a little extra volume, but should be used very sparingly. And when I say training to failure, or taking a set to failure, I don't mean until you physically can't lift the weight, though sometimes that's what certain studies may be referring to. What I'm referring to is going until you can't complete another rep without your form breaking down. This is another reason rep ranges are good to stick to, and it's something I see plenty of people in the gym doing as well, squeezing every little ounce of strength into every last rep on every set they do. This fatigues your muscles much faster than you want to, and if you do it on compound lifts or whatever movements you have earlier in your workout, you can't expect the rest of your session to be productive or efficient. Again, it takes some practice and trial and error to identify, but stopping 2-3 to three reps shy of volitional failure is a good target to shoot for to keep you from trashing the rest of your workout and not building up excess fatigue that could easily impact recovery before your next session. Now, point number six relates to fatigue as well if you aren't careful, and is more of an unspoken pre-workout practice. That is, properly warming up, and this is a two-part point. The first part is something you likely see often enough, perhaps even do it yourself. For some reason, everyone likes to gravitate to a cardio machine and spend 10-20 to 20 minutes warming up before hitting the weights. While it isn't a bad idea to raise your body temperature and heart rate a bit before lifting, people take this farther than they should and pretty much turn it into a full-blown cardio session. This could be because they like to see some sort of calorie burn from the machine they're using or their fitness trackers, but when it comes down to it, if strength and muscle gain is your priority, cardio should not be done first. The second part is stretching too much and too often. I see a lot of guys grab a pole or a wall and try to stretch their pecs out, and girls spending tons of time stretching their legs. Look, having a full range of motion to effectively engage the muscle when it's being worked is a good thing. You want your range of motion to be more or less full. However, stretching your muscles too much beyond a comfortable range of motion, just like doing too much cardio before training, can actually increase fatigue and increase your risk of injury. As far as what a proper warm-up should be, the goal is to prepare the muscles being worked in that session to lift. 
More specifically, if we're stretching, it shouldn't be static where we're trying to stretch a muscle to its furthest point and hold it for long periods of time. If any stretching needs to be done, it should be dynamic. This is very light, not held very long, and are of movements similar to what you'll be doing in your workout. However, all you really need to do to effectively warm up a muscle group is to do a few sets of lighter weights of your first compound lift in your workout and work your way up to the heaviest weight. For example, if your first movement is the bench press, deadlift, overhead press, or squat, your warm-up should look like this. One set of 10 reps at 50% of your normal working weight, a second set of 10 reps at 50% your normal working weight at a slightly faster pace, then one set of 4 reps at 70% of your working weight. Then, start your actual workout. This is a more effective way to circulate blood into your muscles and bring up your body temperature a bit without building up fatigue. You should save both cardio and stretching for after your workout to avoid any interference with your session, and this warm-up should be done before every workout. Number seven is another one a lot seem to get wrong, and that's rest periods between your sets. With the bad habit of constantly trying to keep the calorie burn going, people think they need to constantly move around by doing stupid things like jumping jacks, jumping rope, or supersetting other exercises when they should be resting. With different rep ranges, there's usually a sweet spot for how long you rest before starting your next set. It varies slightly depending on how your workouts are programmed or what your overall goal is, but the simple logic behind it is the lower the rep range and heavier the weight, the longer the rest period should be. This allows your muscles to recover enough before they're stimulated again with the next set and allows you to do more effective volume and work in your training, leading to more growth and strength over time. This allows your heart rate to come back down to somewhat normal levels again as well. I mean, have you ever tried doing high rep squats with short rest periods? Breathing is rather difficult, but I digress. Your compound lifts, like the bench press, deadlift, overhead press, and squat, are usually in lower rep ranges, whereas your accessory lifts, like the bicep curl, lateral raise, and tricep pushdown, are done in higher rep ranges. That said, a good rule of thumb is broken down like this. 1-3 to three and 2-4 to four reps get around 5 minutes of rest. 3-5, to 4-6, and even 5-7 to seven reps get around 3 minutes of rest. 6 to 8, 7 to 9, and 8 to 10 get around 2 minutes of rest. 10 to 12 get around 60 to 90 seconds of rest. And 12 to 15 reps gets 1 minute of rest. Now, if you work with an intelligent coach, they'll likely have this set for you according to your program. But if you're creating your own workout routine, these are good points of reference to follow. And I will admit, when I first followed this, it felt weird. It almost felt like I was doing more resting than I needed to and was hardly lifting at all. But quality over quantity is the key takeaway here. Allowing your body to rest for you to perform your best with each set will equate to more strength and muscle gain over time. While we're on the topic of rest, let's talk point number eight. Overtraining and not taking rest days. 
There's been plenty of times when I've wanted to work out six or seven days a week, and sometimes I still want to. As a matter of fact, there was even a time when I actually did. I was team no days off, and who needs sleep? And this was a horrible idea for more than just physical progress. Not only was I not allowing my body time to recover and adapt to the training I'd throw at it each session, but I was always sore, fatigued, mentally spaced out, and actually had trouble sleeping more than four to five hours per night. Proper rest days are crucial to building more muscle and strength, and most people don't realize just how much so. I've mentioned it in a past episode, but you absolutely need at least one day of rest. I'd advocate at least two, unless you're a very advanced lifter. And as I've said before, you can make a lot of progress being new to weightlifting, even if it's just training three to five days per week. This doesn't mean you should sit around and binge Netflix all day. As a matter of fact, being completely sedentary is going to be worse for recovery. By doing light, and I do mean light, activities on your rest days, you promote recovery by circulating blood and oxygen, especially the areas you've worked during the week. Personally, I keep a slightly higher step count on rest days, might do a little biking, and actually studies show that movements imitating similar recruitment patterns of compound lifts actually help remove cellular debris and speed up recovery. And I always do whole body mobility work too. That said, mobility is something you should absolutely work on daily. It doesn't need to be more than 10 to 15 minutes, and it helps with flexibility, stability, mindfulness of your body and movement patterns, and it actually carries over quite well to your workouts. So, for recovery, by all means, read a book and relax, meditate, but take some walks or do some light activity. However, don't overdo it. There's no reason you should try to rack up a crazy high amount of steps or do hours of cardio. Let your body recover as it needs to and do something enjoyable for your mental health. Now, point 10 is arguably one of the most underrated things that leads to lack of physical progress, poor mental health, bad hormone balance, and so much more. Not getting enough sleep. There's a reason we're told to get 7-9 to nine hours of sleep every night, and this especially holds true for those into weightlifting or working out in some way. The body needs sleep by default. It doesn't just recharge our mental and physical batteries. The time we're asleep allows our body to take care of all sorts of things we aren't consciously aware of. It's our body's way of cleaning house by doing things like repairing damaged tissue and replacing cells. As a matter of fact, insufficient sleep can negatively affect our hormones by decreasing growth hormone and insulin-like growth factors, which play an important part in maintaining muscle. It can also negatively impact weight loss. This is because our bodies still burn calories when we're asleep. And because we haven't eaten food for several hours, these calories come from fat stores. Not to mention growth hormone is produced while we're asleep which further stimulates fat loss. And I likely don't need to explain how tired you can feel from lack of sleep, but this can obviously have crippling effects on athletic performance too. Additionally, long-term sleep deprivation can increase the risk of chronic diseases like cancer, depression, diabetes, hypertension, mortality rate, and obesity. Not to mention it just reduces productivity and quality of life in general. So, if you want to maintain good mental health, stay productive, and make fat loss and muscle growth easier, fight for that 7-9 to nine hours every single night. For our final point, we're going to circle back around to training. And point 11 is training when you're injured or sick. 
Since the human species seems slightly masochistic with a no-pain-no-gain attitude, this is a highly counterproductive way to be. First and foremost, if you have a nagging injury or if a movement causes pain, you shouldn't do it. There's no reason to push through the pain and force yourself to do anything physically that equates to more injury later. We don't work out to get weaker, we work out to get stronger. Now, while lifting heavy amounts of weight isn't something I'd consider comfortable, as even when lifting with proper form, certain movements just feel funny, for lack of a better word, but I think the majority of us know the difference between soreness and pain. When you first start working out right, it's not uncommon to feel what's known as DOMS, or delayed onset muscle soreness. This is something that, depending on the severity, is fine to work through. Actually, working out might help in this regard. But trying to push through an injury can lead to making things worse and put you out of commission for a longer period of time later. The same thing can be said for training when you're sick. We often think if we sweat it out, we'll be okay. But as it turns out, weightlifting actually weakens our immune system for a very brief period of time. Not only that, but if you go to the gym when you're sick, you're exposing other people to what you may have. And especially with what's gone on in 2020, I don't think the term stay home is out of the question. So don't be careless. If you're sick, get rest, get nutrients, and wait until you're better. The body is actually rather stubborn when it comes to holding on to its stored resources, and muscle in particular. If you miss a day or two, even a week, of working out, you're not going to lose your gains. Again, these aren't just general mistakes to avoid, but ones I'm speaking about from personal experience. Don't make the same mistakes and end up spinning your wheels the same way I did. Keeping a balanced mindset and healthy amount of physical activity by ensuring you're recovering well and staying happy is going to give you so much more progress than consistently trying to burn the candle at both ends or grind your gears. That's going to wrap up this episode of Diabetically Speaking, and I want to thank you for listening. If you found this episode useful or know someone else who would, I would really appreciate it if you subscribe and share the podcast. My goal is the same as it was on day one. I want to help everyone I can, diabetic or not. But I'm just one guy. By telling someone you think would find what I do beneficial, you could help me help others too. You can also connect with me on Instagram at TheMacroDiabetic, where I share health and nutrition tips as well as healthy recipes of all kinds. Or feel free to email me with any questions you have, both of which are in the show notes. And I hope you'll join me again.